0: Hello and welcome to the Doula and Midwife
1: Podcast. Hello, Corinne. Hi, Charlene. I've got a brand new coffee mug today and it's a huge one. So actually, I've got tea in it, but I've got a very big cup of tea to get us through the next half hour or possibly one hour because we've got a big topic to cover today.
0: We do indeed. And I'm so excited to chat to you about this because it's it's an issue that so many moms face all over the world in different, you know, different areas. So I'm so excited to chat to you about this today. But just for those of, our, those of you who have never listened to our podcast, it's myself, Charlene Ruiz West, and Corin Wilmot, the virtual midwife, and we've come together to bring you Relaxing to Birth Plus, our online, completely um, comprehensive antenatal course focusing on hypnobirthing and the medical side of birth. So, welcome everybody.
1: Yes. So, you know wow. what? I think that we should get straight into the topic today because, as excited as I am, I have to say I'm also slightly anxious about it because it is such a controversial thing, even though it is widely spoken about on mom forums and mom's groups. And the reason we're talking about it is because it came up in our group. And um, essentially, what we're talking about is the term bait and switch. And one of the ladies in our group came up and she said, i have been listening back over the podcast you've done together. And I've heard you use the t- term bait and switch. Can you explain what this means? Thank you. And it was interesting because before you or I got to answer that, one of our other members came in and explained it. And she actually shared her experience of having a doctor who was very, very supportive of her vaginal birth but at the last moment changed everything and actually almost forced her to have a cesarean and using terms that made it seem like the baby was in danger and then ended up with her baby being separated from her so yeah it's a story that abounds
0: especially on the VBAC groups and that stands for vaginal birth after cesarean and on Facebook there are so many VBAC groups popping up And I think that's really is a big hot topic because so many moms for their second birth are much more aware of these kinds of tactics, which are so underhand and so unethical. Just it makes me so angry
1: to talk about it, but I think, yeah, it's definitely something to explore. When it happens in the first pregnancy and you end up having a cesarean and in your first pregnancy, you are definitely a lot more, not as, you're not asking as many questions because you put your, all your faith and trust in your care provider, as you should. I mean, that is really how the relationship and the dynamic works. But it does have to be, you know, does your care provider put as much faith and trust in you and your ability to birth your baby? Are you meeting on a point of balanced trust and respect for each other? Because if you're having a vaginal birth, you are the one who's doing it. Your body and you are the, the action there's not much that I can do as a even as a midwife, you as a doula, a gynae, as an obstetrician. There's, there's not much we can do to do it for you except to do a surgical birth. But that should only be done in the case of an emergency or if there's something that has happened that is going to affect the outcome, both either for the mom or for the baby or for both. And so we have to trust that relationship. And when, we, when there's an imbalance of trust and respect around that, and then you are very subtly coerced into interventions or even a surgical birth that wasn't necessarily medically necessary, you're okay. You might be okay with it. You think, oh, is at least I'm okay. My baby's okay. But then your next birth, you are a lot more aware. You're, you're going to ask a lot more questions. And then as you say, now you're a VBAC. And finding a supportive care provider, the first time around for a normal vaginal birth was difficult. It's even more difficult to find a care provider who is supportive of a vaginal birth after cesarean. A vicious circle now, because now we have so many more women who are seeking to have a V back. Yes, I love what
0: you said about it being reciprocal. You yes. know, is the trust reciprocal with your care provider? And I also really, I never thought about what, how you said it was, that when the care provider has to do something, they, they can do something surgical and medical. You have to come to the party with your body. And the only way that they can help you is to do something. Mm. That's, just, that's, just, that's such a aha moment. <laughs> 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 it was a light bulb moment. That's what I meant to say.
1: You know, I think the other thing is that so much of the focus when we're talking about bait and switch is on what is done to you and on the mode of birth. But if we look at all the studies that are done around a woman's satisfaction of whether she was satisfied or whether her birth experience was a positive one, the focus isn't on how the baby was born. It's on how she felt and how she was made to feel during labor, on how supportive team was and how supported she felt and whether or not she was involved in decisions and choices that were available to her at the time that's got nothing to do with her baby was born vaginally or surgically it's how she felt but um let's go back to the beginning yeah. and talk about what bait and switch means I mean I hate the term to be honest with you and I'm sure doctors do too (laughs) and I'm sure that they know that it is a term that is is being used more widely but essentially it is when the care provider says that they they do support your wishes and they support your wish for a vaginal birth but as the pregnancy progresses they start subtly throwing in reasons why a cesarean or surgical birth might be better, might be safer, why it eliminates risk, and I think it's the word risk that is used a lot, and anytime risk is brought into it, it immediately evokes a feeling of fear. And one of the things that I said on the group that the ladies really loved is if we replace the word risk with the word chance, it kind of changes everything. Risk sounds scary, but chance is chance.
0: I really love that.
1: Um, And
0: it's very insidious how it happens. mm. And as you said, it can happen during pregnancy, at your antenatal visits with your care provider. And unfortunately, at the very last minute during the actual birth process when you're at your most vulnerable and I say to clients you know it's so important to choose so carefully because you're going to be at your most vulnerable in that moment and as the doula non-medical doula I don't have my hand up there looking at your cervix checking out what's going on in the vagina I, I don't have my hand up there so I can't say mm, this is you know none of us in the room can can say oh this is not necessary or this next course of action is not is unnecessary because all of that falls on the primary caregiver because Because that is where
1: the trust relationship is and like we say the trust relationship is incredibly important but where are you putting your trust
0: and i don't want it to come from a point of thinking that oh you're a dealer and you're a midwife and you're bitter (laughs) about
1: the situation. Or that we know anything more because we don't necessarily, I think we, we all want the best for the mom and baby. I don't want to argue with anybody when a woman is in labor and a woman in labor certainly doesn't want to be arguing with anyone. We shouldn't be. It shouldn't be about that. And it shouldn't be a power struggle and it shouldn't be us and them. Like I found when I was answering that message on the group yesterday, I was talking about they 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 and I was like that's already coming at it from the wrong angle because it's making it seem like us and them that's how it feels but it shouldn't be it shouldn't be that way it
0: shouldn't be that way
1: and I think what you said about it being insidious is so true because actually what sparked that conversation was the lady who said that at her 23 week visit the receptionist had asked her to sign a consent for a cesarean that's insidious
0: that is a form that they give to moms during labor if things go you know things don't go so well and the
1: caesarean is needed it can be given during labor it's planting a seed um because i I, and it's a seed that doesn't need to be planted because every pregnant woman knows that there is a possibility she may need a caesarean it's a given there's always a possibility and and we are grateful for the opportunity to have a caesarean if it's the right thing to do but exactly. all I need to do, if that, dis- if that option is made available and it's necessary, is sign on a piece of paper, less than two seconds.
0: I mean, you, that's what you want from a cesarean, is that it was necessary and you can know. And I always say it in the same way. You can know in your heart of hearts that it was a necessary course of action.
1: Because I agree with you. I really agree with you that you know in your heart of hearts. But how do you get there? How do you get there and how do you trust it? How do you trust your heart of hearts in a moment of extreme vulnerability and at the end of a very long, hard, physically challenging labor? And when you're faced with a doctor who who is saying that this is the right thing for you and your baby and using words like risk and and whatever, how do you trust your heart of hearts? Like that is a huge ask. Yeah,
0: I think it comes down to watching out for red flags during your post your antenatal appointments so when you go for these visits watch for the words that they use are they open to discussing your preferences with you are they open to discussing natural birth options should I say vaginal birth options and that includes how many seizures do they do how many vaginal births do they do do they do episiotomies all those questions that we've we've covered a bit in the other podcasts we've done interviewing them as if you're choosing a, another service provider for something that you need done at home you're going to be interviewing getting multiple quotes but it is difficult it's a very difficult ask
1: so i'm going to speak from the the ghani now yes. and i would say that the unfortunate reality is that the majority of ghanis don't haven't experienced vaginal birth in its rawest, most natural form because they were trained in a medical system in a public hospital with high volumes of birth um, and high intervention rates. So during the entire training, they probably never saw many really true natural births or even beautiful births. Like most Ghanis who come out of their obstetric training are quite traumatized, actually from the things that they've seen and done and if you had to speak to them the words beauty and power and transformation and empowered wouldn't come into the conversation so from their point of view that was their first imprint of birth and then as they've moved through and gone into private practice or whatever they've realized Listen, there's a better way of doing this i mean we don't have to yeah. do that we a surgical birth is clean it's it's on time it's scheduled I can manage the healing I can manage the everything so yeah. it's it's from a convenience point of view and I think many times they actually think it's better for the mom I do I do think that you know I don't think it's coming from a point of view so when they have someone sitting in front of them who's done our course and is asking them all of these questions inside they are just like rolling their eyes and because they they are going back to their training and what they saw and thinking do you really want that do you really want that yeah they haven't seen it and and you know i saw that sure when i when i was in the middle east and one of my and Lindsay, if, if you're listening to this, this is a big shout out to you because she wanted to have a water birth and water birth just wasn't possible it wasn't an option there and i had a really good um i was already working outside of the hospital system So I was supporting her independently, but I had a good relationship with that doctor. So she agreed to do the water birth, which we were both amazed with. But I think the reason she agreed to do it was because she thought it wouldn't happen. She'd never done it before. She'd never seen one, but she really didn't think it would happen. And Lindsay just like went full out. She got her own birth pool, arranged with the hospital uh, staff to set it up to create a room. I mean, she just went all out. There was like nothing stopping her. But for me, it was all about her, her absolute trust and belief in her ability to do this. And this is what she wanted. And she was not going to let the fact that she was in a country where water birth had never been done before, in a hospital where it would never been done before. She had her water birth. And I will never forget the look on the doctor's face. One, because she was in the water. So she was unable to put her hands in and do all the interventions she would normally have done. And we'd had a few talks about it. And I sort of jokingly said, just sit, with your ha- sit, you know, sit on your hands, which she did. And we made a joke of it. So every time her little hands came out, I would sort of like make a funny face, (laughs) hands, (laughs) and um, she put them in. And and because of the the way everything went, Lindsay birthed her baby pretty much on her own, well, on her own, actually, um, and had a beautiful birth. And the, the look on that doctor's face was priceless it was amazing and it changed her practice because she saw that i'm I'm pretty certain that was the first time she'd seen a birth like that and i'm sure it's the same for many of the doctors here and that you've worked with how many of them have actually seen a positive beautiful birth and the look on their face and when they do see it they, they say that's amazing but like that doesn't usually happen like no. it's, For them, it's an unusual <laughs> situation. And from, for us, it's the norm and it's what we are striving for. And I think that's the difference. So we're coming at it from a point of view of like we're dealing with someone who doesn't even know what we're asking for and doesn't even think it's possible.
0: I had a similar experience with a doctor who wasn't key, too keen on water birth, but the mother was in, almost in transition in the water when the doctor arrived. And the doctor came in with her hands on her hips said, oh, what is going on here? And I just saw the look from, the look on her face was extreme irritation. You have to get her out. So I took a pillow and I put it next to the bath and I touched the doctor's shoulder and I said, here you go. There's a, a pillow for you, you know. She just looked at me like shocked. Like, first of all, I touched her. <laughs> 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 and who's this person telling me to kneel over there you know with the with them with down there those people are down there so then she got down and this woman did have a water birth and it was just so wonderful and the doctor totally came to the party it was like she her whole like attitude shifted when she saw that things were progressing beautifully in the water it was really a, a really a wonderful eye-opening experience for her I think and also just to, just to see a different perspective. And you can have some sympathy with the doctors in that they have up to how many births a month car 30. Oh my goodness, I mean
1: maybe at more least, at least.
0: As an independent so
1: midwife, we never take more than four or six. It becomes, exactly. becomes like a sausage factory. You know,
0: you get called for these women going to birth or you have a day of caesareans planned, you know, every hour on the hour.
1: It's a really, really good point. You know, they're working in a system where, yes, there's always one theatre that is available for emergency caesareans. But yeah. as Guyanese, they have a day that is there. So by the time you know every week they know who's due in that week. They're making space there, and there are many. There are many doctors who. I mean, I've worked in one of those hospitals where the first cesarean would be booked in for seven thirty, and it would go through until four. So as you say, on the hour, every hour.
0: I understand. You know, there's burnout that can happen to birth workers, including guidance. Absolutely. So, It's exhausting to deal with a woman who is empowered and educated and asking questions. It's like, oh, this is the last thing I want in my office right now. Is someone asking me how many episiotomies I do, how many, you know, it's so irritating when a woman is so educated on her options and her preferences and knows what she wants. It means that, you know, if they think forward, they think, oh gosh, okay, this one, I'm going to have to get up in the middle of the night. 2am (laughs) 3am i'm not in the mood for that and it's it's said like who wants the life of a midwife or a or even a doula for that matter because the action really happens between 12 and 6am regularly more often than not more often than not
1: but i do think that this is why it really comes back to the pregnant woman she has to have the trust in her own body and her own ability to birth her baby because she is the one who is doing it yes she might be doing it in the hospital yes she might be doing it with a gynae all of those things but at the end of the day she's the only one who can do it and all you're asking is that the people who are there believe in you and trust you to do that and support you with everything that is happening everything, because it's hard and it's challenging. And as medical personnel, we want to step in and say, oh, but I've got something for this. I can help you with this. Because it's there, or do you want it because you need it? Because yes, we do. We have a medication and a procedure for everything that happens in labor. So we can either bypass it, or we can stop it, or we can make it go faster or quicker. We have something for everything. But which Mm -hmm. ones do you want to use? And why? And when? And when?
0: And another thing is a woman shouldn't have to fight. And you've me- you mentioned it right in the beginning. A woman shouldn't have to fight in the birth room. I mean, if you go back to essential hypnobirthing pointers, it's the worst thing to be in fight, flight or freeze mode, in your sympathetic nervous system mode. You want to be birthing and laboring in your parasympathetic mode, which is feed, breed, digest. And birth, obviously,
1: you really want your care provider, if they walk in and see that you're in that parasympathetic mode to respect it, don't do anything that snaps you out of it, because it's very easy to snap you out of it. So it's being goes back to respect, it goes back to respecting if you walk in, and we see a woman who is laboring quietly, or maybe not so quietly, but you can see that she's in the zone yes then you know don't have bed. to interfere we don't we are, have to interfere having said that i mean i've been at birth with
0: a handful of doctors who are so intensely respectful of the mother who step back and cheer her on the one the one time i was at a birth with with a mom and the only source of light we had was a small little led candle and she was crowning And every time she crowned a little, you know, the baby was rocking backwards and forth, would shine the little lights over the area. And at some point, this little man came in and was watching this unfold. Every time the baby rocked backwards and forward, he would just step forward and just clap his hands slightly like this. Oh, that's wonderful. And then step back. And he kept, you know, moving in and out like that, but without putting on any lights just cheering her on and his midwife the midwife on duty was basically conducting the birth she had her hands there with the mom with our little source of light from the led candle you know and he was literally like a little cheerleader on the side and then I realized oh this must be the doctor because when the baby was born and obviously he came forward to congratulate her oh thank you doctor so-and-so I mean was amazing you don't you don't find that you don't hear those stories so just as a side note you know there are these doctors who really try to work in a caring midwifery approach way but it is so rare it's like a rare wine (laughs) to find a doctor like that you really hold on to them tightly you know because those are the that's the backup gynae you want or that's if you can't have a midwife for whatever reason, that's the
1: primary Ghani that you want. That's your primary caregiver. That you want. I do think, though, that the change will, will not, we can't change the practice of the Ghanis. We can't change their, you know, their practice, but we can change ourselves. And the only way this trend and this behavior will shift is women stepping into their power, and and trusting themselves that they have everything they need to birth their babies that I can do this but I choose to do it in the hospital and I choose to do it with the guy so often I've heard (laughs) sometimes there's such a fear that the guy won't arrive and when a birth is progressing really really beautifully sometimes the (laughs) guy doesn't arrive and the birth happens amazingly and he sort of he or she walks in oh it's all over and yes, there's an element of anger because of all the stuff that's involved if you miss a birth, but really it means that that they weren't needed because we know that a birth is progressing well doesn't need anything else. It needs a supportive team, it needs people who are. I mean, obviously it's the difference between a free birth and a, an assisted birth or a hospital birth or whatever, but you know, if there's someone there who can reassure you that everything that is happening is meant to be happening and just guide you as as those changes are occurring. And yes, this baby is coming. Yes, it feels intense. Yes, 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 yes. Just all of those reassurances, then there isn't much I need to do. I'm not birthing the baby. Yeah. So if the doctor didn't make it, it's probably a good thing and you didn't need them anyway. You Didn't need them anyway. <laughs> and also to give so much
0: credit to care providers and forgetting that she herself did it. And a mom would say, oh my gosh I don't think I could have done it without you but we were
1: just there to hold the space but what we did was we gave her made her feel safe enough to go where she needed to go to go into parasympathetic mode that's what you did
0: that's
1: you made her feel safe enough to go into parasympathetic mode and that parasympathetic mode is where the feeling of satisfaction comes from and where that positive thing because it's a beautiful feeling and it is it is amazing
0: i just want to add that it's never too late to change care providers i know that's like a touchy subject (laughs) but but i feel like it needs to be said that and i hope you know if any any obstetricians or are listening to our podcast they understand from the point of view that It's a free country, it's a free world, you know, and you should be able to change care providers, whether that's to another gynae, primary caregiver, or you decide to have a a midwife-led birth. You know, it really comes down to how do you and this person gel? They're going to see everything physically. It's a vulnerable situation. And
1: to choose the right person for you is... Number one. I think your point that it's never too late to change is a very important one because actually I probably had the best birth outcomes from those who have changed at the last minute, who've like seen the red flags, ignored them seen, them, seen them, seen them, at some point there's one that just like pops up and they're like, Oh, okay, now it's time. This one is just and then because they're so clear, the reason they've changed is because all of a sudden it's become incredibly clear. No, I know what I want, and I know that this. Person is not fully on board with that. And now I need to find. And when they find that person, they're finding them because they know what they want. So for those of you who are listening, it's not just about asking all the questions and looking for the red flags. Yes, that's important. But what do you actually want? And are you being heard during pregnancy? Because if you're not being heard during pregnancy, if you're not being heard in those 15 minutes when you're sitting with your doctor, then you will not be heard when you're in labor. That I know for sure. And if you think you're vulnerable in those 15 minutes in your consultation, you're way more vulnerable when you're in labor. And it's not the time to be doubting yourself. It's not the time to be arguing or questioning or saying, but I said I didn't want. That's a light bulb moment. (laughs) Like a slot machine.
0: exactly. You know, how late is late
1: to change? 39 weeks yeah 39 weeks when they start saying you know what baby's not coming the cervix is posterior yay that's fantastic it's supposed to be posterior at 39 weeks (laughs) all of those things so so many things yeah Um, or the baby's very high up Or it's too big (laughs) yeah yeah it's, it's just it's it's never too late it's actually never too late because you're the one who's doing it and if in your heart of hearts You are sitting there thinking, sure, this feels wrong. Then you're already listening. And, and you know, that's such a big thing that you brought up, that heart of hearts thing. Because you, you have to start practicing listening to that throughout your pregnancy and trusting it and acting on it. Because it is, it takes practice. You know, when you listen to your heart of hearts in the face of advice and opinions and social pressure, and it feels good and it feels right you it's a little step forward oh okay I can trust that and then something else happens and you trust your heart of hearts against all odds but it is right by the time you get to having your baby and you're in labor you are so much more comfortable with trusting what you feel and what you know to be right but if you've never done it before then it's very difficult and that's not the time I'm going to start listening to that little voice that's saying There's just too much at stake.
0: Mm. Another thing to add to that is many women have seen their particular gynae since they started menstruating, for example. So it becomes like a very deep and complicated relationship with that person. But it doesn't mean that that gynae is the right person for your birth. It might just mean that they're an amazing gynie and they can do the best pap smears and all of that woman stuff, you know, to the, what you need, but it doesn't mean that they're the best person for your birth. So it, it might mean that you find someone else who is appropriate for what you want and your preferences, and then you can always come back to the other gynie for
1: your annual checkups. Well, that's a really good point because when you're going for your paps and all of that that's pathophysiology patho meaning we are seeking what is wrong physiology is what is going right ghanies are trained in pathophysiology and they are trained in to be able to recognize and manage the pathophysiology of pregnancy midwives are trained in the physiology or our focus is on obviously we understand the pathophysiology but our focus is on the physiology and i think that's an important point to to think about because in your in your preparation as well you want to be focused on the physiology of pregnancy not the pathophysiology and so often i see when i go on forums and groups and, and when i look at articles and you and i both write articles for for, you know for things it's always about the pathophysiology we hardly ever write about the physiology of labor we hardly ever talk about the physiology of labor so if i go online as a newly pregnant woman and i'm seeking out information most of what's going to come up is the pathophysiology like you know pregnancy-induced hypertension gestational diabetes placenta media placenta abruption, all the things that could go wrong so everybody who comes to us our class and who joins our group that's where they're coming from, from a place of like, what if something goes wrong, as opposed to what is going right? And what do I need to do to keep it going right? What do I need to do to, to keep everything going right and to know that everything's going right, to trust that everything is going right?
0: It comes down to choosing correctly, trusting your heart and trusting your care provider, choosing correctly for you.
1: For you yeah what's good for you is not necessarily good for your best friend or yeah. vice versa and
0: um, because for me it's so much about what happens postpartum and her mental state you know
1: that she have a good empowered experience so many women are made to believe they don't know what to do and they need to be told what to do throughout pregnancy so like they hand over so much of their power in pregnancy to the ghani and to outside care providers and to external things, as opposed to focusing what's happening internally, and like really trusting all of those changes we've been talking about. So what happens when you, so, so you're you, all you're your, your stripped of your confidence and your own ability to do this by handing over. And the reality is that when we hand it over to the gani, and the baby is born, you're still sent home with your newborn baby. Yeah. There's no instruction manual. so I'm being sent home stripped of all my confidence in my own ability, you know, made to think that I don't know how to birth a baby, don't know how to do this, need to be told what to do. And now nobody's telling me what to do. Nobody's telling me what to do when the baby cries, how to breastfeed, whatever. And I'm so cut off from my heart of hearts from my instinct that that is a very difficult place to access or I just don't trust it. but actually that's where it's all going to happen. Because it's, it's a heart thing, isn't it? Caring yeah. for your baby comes from the heart.
0: Yes. No, there's no manual for your baby.
1: No. Your baby Otherwise, is the manual. The <laughs> Baby is the manual, exactly.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Karin. That was so enlightening. And a lot of light bulb moments today. Ding,
1: ding, 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 ding. <laughs> well, it wasn't as um, uncomfortable as what I was expecting it to be.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, that was really great. Thank you.
1: So thank you so much, Charlene. I think that was a great um, conversation and thank you to the ladies in our group who started that conversation. I really hope that this has given you some things to think about. There isn't one answer for it. It's a bit like most things in pregnancy where there's no one size fits all um, except the one answer that is always true is to go within and to access that place of trust in yourself.
0: And to wrap up... That there's a lovely quote, peace on earth begins with birth. So that's when you have to start.
1: I think that's Robin Hill, is it? I think so. Lovely one. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's my favorite one. Wow, no, it's not my favorite. I've got so many favorites. (laughs) (laughs) Have a beautiful week, and we will see you all next week. Please make sure that you download and subscribe to our podcast, share it far and wide,
0: and join our WhatsApp group.